Welcome to another episode of Good Taste Bad Grammar, powered by the family brand. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us on social media at Good Taste Bad Grammar. Enjoy the episode. Yo, what's going on, man? We are back at it live and direct, man. Good Taste Bad Grammar coming at you today from Zoom. I'm with my guy, Rod Carter, man. How you living, bro? What up, what up, man? Can't call it, man. Chilling. Man, bro, it's good to be back, man. Today, as always, we got another super dope episode. And this one, we are joined by a legend, if I must say so myself. We're going to have the legendary Charlotte Hornet Muggsy Bogues on. But Muggsy, man, but yeah, Rod, you already know what it is, man. But before we get into everything, Muggsy, before we give you a proper introduction, we want to introduce a segment that we've been doing so far this season called Good Taste. It gives our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and really, too, just to kind of see like where your mind is before the episode. So we got some quick questions for you. And uh, this is how we're going to start Good Taste. So the first Good Taste question that we have for you, since you were a part of the 90s in the NBA culture, give us five good jerseys that you really liked. Obviously, the Charlotte Hornets had some of the best threads in the league, but what were five good jerseys that you liked in the 90s? In the 90s, five good jerseys? Well, I'm going to pick all the ones, the, at least three of the teams that was on, was the Hornets, the Golden State, the Raptors. Uh, you know, I'll go with New York and Dallas. That makes sense. That does those yeah, yeah. some good jerseys. And I when we when we made when we thought of the question, we was like, honestly, his teams are some of the best, especially from the nineties. Um, especially that that Hornets and the Raptors, like, yeah, and then like you said, the Golden State as well. So yeah, yeah, I can't forget about the first one, the Bullets. You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a hometown team with that too. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. That's where it all started. <laughs> All right, so the second good taste question: uh, Five young players in the NBA that you currently like to watch. It can be any position. Well, that's, well, Steph is for at the front, at the front of it. You know, Steph Curry. You know, always seeing him playing. Uh, of course, CP love CP. Um, seeing him doing his thing out there. Uh, the young fellas now, of course, LeBron and the KD and ad and harden and all those guys you know everybody loves to see them but you know yeah the young guys that's coming up you know Lamelo ball yeah. you know right now and that's playing that's bringing some excitement young bridges you know miles you know i'm loving the same way don't and the kid saxon as, as well as you know up in cleveland so those guys fox up in in, in uh sacramento so the young guys i want to give love to trey young down there in atlanta yeah, who's doing this thing. So a lot of the young up and coming. So I want to get them some love. But, you know, that's where the lead is going. It's growing, you know, and you need these guys that's coming up, upcoming stars, because eventually our big guy is going to be venturing out here sh- sooner. It's probably a little later because it seems like the older he get, yeah. <laughs> the more finer he's become. <laughs> Meaning in LeBron. Yeah, man, I knew exactly what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I, I think this too is uh, to your point, Muggsy, as far as the players that you like, man, it's heavy at the guard position right now in the NBA. So a lot of talent at the guard position, uh, as you stated. So going into the next one, the next good taste question that we have for you, five players that you enjoyed to compete against when you were playing. Well, you know, it's always at my position. Of course, you're going GP. You know, Gary Payton was was one that oh. always loved to, the, the glove always liked to bring the best out of you. Now I love playing against John Stockton. You know, the Isaiah Thomas, you know, the the real the, the, the Zeke Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> not my young fella IT, yeah, you know, yeah. uh playing against guys like that. Uh, of course the J Kid, the Penny Hardaways, 
you know, love playing against my man, my Spud Webb. You know, I love playing against my young Spud. So there's a lot of guys. I guess I gave you five. So, but it's more Tim Hardaway. You know, I keep on going, Mark Jackson. I love me. so many of them out there. <laughs> well, definitely. And to round yeah. us off on the last Good Taste segment question, uh, five songs that you used to listen to in your pregame warm up or your pregame ritual. What was well, your warm up song? You know, it back then we didn't have a headphone. I didn't have the headphones okay. on, you know. So you know, you you probably in the locker room listen to you know. And for me, you know, always, you know, I was a, a Q-tip, you know, uh, Cry for the Quest. If you know, they was my guys. You know, got my Muggsy Bogues and Muggsy Bogues in that song. So I had to the Tribe Called Quest. I had to give them some love, you know, reaching out. And uh, of course. Uh, Marvin Gaye, you know, Marv was the guy that we all kind of mellowed out to get ready to to listen to. And of course, you know, Prince back then was 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 okay. pretty popular for okay. love, and everybody had that in, in their in their playlist. Uh, go along with from, uh, uh, of course, Biggie and Tupac. You know, you know, had to get add them to in there because that's something that gets you get you bop and get you going. Yeah. You know, and they get you ready. Yeah. Jay was just coming in the scene, though. Jay was just really coming up and okay, yeah, that makes so sense. So Jay, yeah, yeah, Jay was Jay was there, but you know it was Biggie, Tupac, you know, go back with you know those guys and try to call quest, like I said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Shoot, and that's hey, that's a that's a heck of a list. That's definitely some soulful soulful artists. Got a little bit of rap on there. But, man, Muggsy, we appreciate you knocking that out for us. Like we said, that was the good taste segment that we have. Uh, it's been super successful so far. And it was some, some good uh, opportunities to get to know you a little bit better. But, like I said, giving you a proper introduction, everybody, today we are joined by Muggsy Bogues, one of the greatest Charlotte Hornets of all time, 14 years in the NBA, Charlotte Hornets all-time leader in assists, Top 25 in all-time assists in the NBA, all-time. I don't know if y'all heard me. That's all-time top 25. First-round draft pick, gold medalist, and has his number 14 jersey retired at Wake Forest University. Muggsy, speak to the people and introduce yourself. What's up, guys? Hey, you did all – I mean, how much did I pay you to do that? I mean, <laughs> it cost me quite a bit. You just did it all. Introduced. Appreciate that love of bringing me in. Most definitely, most definitely. Thank you for having for having our coming on um, and joining us here on Good Taste Bad Grammar. Um, so to get us kind of kicked off, uh, Muggsy, we know you're from uh, Baltimore, Maryland. So mm-hmm. give us kind of a backstory of growing up in Baltimore and what your childhood was like um, coming up in Baltimore. Well, you know, growing up in the inner city of Baltimore, of course, it was challenging. You know, early on at my age of five years old, unfortunately for me, I got shot, you know, been outside in a place where I had no business being, uh, snuck outside, mindful of not even knowing I was out there. But, um, you know, trying to pursue, I think that right there, I think once overcoming that, I think it did something to my mindset. It really gave me an opportunity to really like, didn't care about what anybody thought or what they said about how short or what I was, how short I was or the little short strokes they was trying to, you know, throw at me because mm-hmm. I was trying to start to take interest in the game of basketball. And, uh, but it was like, you know, I wanted to be like any other kid. Everybody was out there playing, hooping, you know, trying to gain a reputation for themselves, as we I should, should say. And it was also a means for an opportunity, an avenue for me as to get out, to go to, you know, get a proper education. And hopefully, you know, one day, you know, change the narrative of your family. But 
you know, right there, I was just trying to be that guy. And fortunate enough for me, I had some good guys growing up with the, you know, the late Reggie Lawrence, may he rest in peace, uh, David Wingate and Reggie Williams. You know, fortunate enough, we was all on the same high school team together that we was able to assemble that, they say one of the best teams was ever assembled, you know, with the Baltimore boys, you know, being able to go undefeated my two years that I was there. Yeah, so uh, you alluded to it, but definitely talk about that that team and that experience um, playing ball in high school. I know um, I, I played football in, in high school, but, you know, the high school, you know, the bus rides and just the team and mm. getting to know yourself and getting to know your brothers. Talk about growing up and then being one of the best high school teams of all time, as many people like to say. That was so much fun because that's where it all started. You know, at that time, you know, you kids, you know, you just got that adrenaline that you want to be the best, you know, because as we grew up, we was playing against each other, you know, neighborhoods against neighborhoods, you know, Lafayette against Cecil Kirk and Madison and all that sort of thing. Then all of a sudden, now you guys on the same team, fighting for the same common goal. And here it is, we traveling, you know, a team like us, we was traveling, you know, we going to Kentucky, going to New York. You know, going out of Pennsylvania to, to take on who was considered the best out there. You know, and it helps. You know, we had egos. You know, we had egos as you know we travel around and hit as we say we going to New York. We want to be the best. We going to put New York kids. So yeah, you know that mentality, and then being able to you know prevail, and then being you know at the last you know last team standing. You know that was great doing it with your guys that you grew up with. Phil being on that bond. You know, unfortunately for us, we you know we lost one too early you know, and Reggie Lewis, and uh, because we all made, fortunate enough, we was able to make history together. And I know y'all probably get into that in the NBA second, but, you know, by that's three of us, me, myself, and the late Reggie Lewis and Reggie Williams getting drafted in the first round, you know, in 87 together. So that was special. Yeah. Yeah, Muggsy, with that, like, you know, one thing, listening to your comment uh, to answer that question, you said, you know, obviously, you know, you guys were a competitive team. Uh, some say the best team of all time. But, you know, when you start winning games, especially in high school, like you do start feeling yourself, like you said, you guys had four guys made to NBA. So egos. How did Bob Wade manage it all? Like people say, you know, he's one of the greatest coaches, but also just one of the greatest men to be able to, you know, really bring you guys up and develop you guys, not only as basketball players, but uh, young men as well. So what was that like playing for him and how did he do it all? Well, he was the key, you know, he was the key behind it all because as you just alluded to, not only just us four, we had a whole team full of good players. I believe we had the, we were the, considered the number team, one team in the nation, but I think our second five was the number team in the country. <laughs> I mean, and, and that included Reggie Lewis coming off the bench, you know, a part of that second team. You know, we had 11 guys was fortunate enough to go to a division one school. And, um, but Coach understood who we were, you know, where we came from and what we all needed. You know, everybody had their own personality. Everybody needed to be treated totally differently. And everybody needed something totally different. You know, a lot of us didn't have fathers in our house. And being able to have that father figure, that mentor who'd been there and done it as a professional athlete. You know, the coach was a professional athlete, you know, playing in the football with the Pittsburgh and the coach and all that. And then coming back, and take on the responsibility to mentor kids in this neighborhood and uh, to get them to understand how to check their egos at the door and then come in to, for one common goal, that was the win. And we was fortunate that we was able to do that. And, uh, he, you know, he, that's our guy of the day. You know, he's just like a father. 
You know, he's like a father figure for me anyway, and for most of the guys. And that's what Coach did, not only for me, for many other guys that came through that program, because that's what he instilled. You know, he started us to understand to be a student athlete, you know, because at the time early on, back in those days, you know, the terminology dumb jocks, dumb jocks was floating around so much. And, uh, and he wanted to make sure that we understood how to carry ourselves, how to conduct ourselves, and how to be a student athlete as opposed to just an athlete. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and for those who don't know, uh, Muggsy actually went to Dunbar High School, um, Dunbar High School in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, actually has a, a couple, you know, people that were successful in their own right. Um, Tupac, for example, and then also the way I was introduced, um, Tayvon Austin, um, he had one of the best high school football highlight tapes of all the time, in my opinion. So, Shout out to Dunbar High School and Muggsy. I want to move on kind of not too far, but just a little bit to kind of talk about how you got your nickname. How'd you get the uh, the nickname? <laughs> <laughs> well, it started coming back, of course, you know, growing up in the city of Baltimore. And, you know, as kids, you're going to develop some kind of nickname. You know, you're trying to make a name for yourself. And, uh, and for me, you know, my Tyrone is my name. Mama named me Ty. And, uh, and playing the game and stealing the ball, and, you know, the guy said, wow, oh, she's mugging everybody. And then it was a show on at the time called The Bowery Boys. And one of the characters was named Muggsy. You know, it was a little, he was like the little leader of his little crew. You know, for some odd reason, they always, you know, we always had a crew, you know, back in my neighborhood. You know, we was five deep, six deep. Yeah. And we always traveled together. And they always saw me as the leader of that little crew. So mugging and between that Bowery boys, then all of a sudden they try to put it together. And one day the guy called me and said, man, you act like Muggsy. That's Muggsy out there. <laughs> and of course, I didn't like it. You know, I thought they were talking about the mug and everything because, you know, you're a kid and all that. But it grew on me, man. And shucks, seven, eight years old, I've been Muggsy ever since. And like I said, many people don't even know my name is Tyrone. Yeah, that's crazy how like things just stick with it, isn't it? Like, you know, growing up, it's just crazy. And obviously, like you playing basketball, uh, I'm curious to know, like, what do you what do you think your nickname ranks? Because, you know, it's some great ones in the NBA. You got Magic, you got the glove. Uh, we Iceman. Got, yeah, Iceman. Yeah. Uh, Gervin, man, the King and LeBron. So, like, where what what are some of your favorite nicknames from the NBA? Um, and then where do you think like yours ranks? Well, I mean, I'm quite sure I'm up there in some regards to a lot of some folks, but you know, for me, you know, I had, you know, you had Fast Eddie, you know, you got a little Fast Eddie, Fast Eddie, then you had, like I said, you got uh, the, the, the Daryl Chocolate, the Chocolate Thunder. Yeah. You know, Chocolate Thunder was back and then we had my man Moses when they had the posters with him up there, you know, doing this thing. So it was so many great names back in the day, man. It was, you know, it was unreal. You know, we had Sugar. You know, yeah, Sugar Ray Rives, Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, Sugar Ray uh, Richardson um, out there uh, playing. You know, had so many. The, the Doctor. I mean, he gosh, lost the how human highlight in uh, in Dominique. You know, so you know, and then you go down. They call the the the, the, the Bruce, the the Bad Boys. They yeah. call the the Bruce brothers. Oh, Jeff Jeff Rulin and 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 uh, Rick Mahorn. You know, the, so there's so many nicknames that was out there, man. It, it, you know, Rain Man, Sean Kent, you yeah. know, so <laughs> keep on going with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And obviously, you know, you got Grandma too down in the city. And then, yeah, then that's what I was a great city. Then you had my man, my young fella, my big fella, Grandmama, <laughs> you know, and LJ, you know, so, and then, of course, can't forget the airness, you know, MJ. Yeah. 
that's that's definitely true. Um, so kind of pushing forward and moving on, uh, Muggsy, I wanted to ask you, you know, Baltimore is definitely one of the blackest cities in America and definitely the time that you were growing up in it. Um, but you, you made the trip on down to what we like to call the hoop state. Um, came on down to the hoop state and went to Wake Forest. Um, Wake Forest is definitely known for, you know, the likeness of yourself. Um, big fundamental, I mean, another nickname, Big Fundamental and Tim big Duncan. And um, the point guard, you know, in CP3, you know, a couple nicknames and a couple legendary players. Um, so talk about kind of the decision to come on down to, to, to Wake Forest. I know you, you know, you had the, the, the eyes of, you know, all across, like you said, the high school team spoke for itself and the record spoke for itself and the talent was there. But talk about the decision to come to Wake Forest. Well, you know, the reason I decided to go to Wake because I knew the challenge that it was going to, you know, that it, it, it prevailed for me, it led for me. Uh, in terms on and off the court. Um, I know if it didn't work out basketball-wise, then academically it would be a situation where if I got my degree from Wake Forest University, then I can go ahead and do something positive, you know, with me and hopefully change the narrative in my, for my family. And that was my thought process, you know, and then also uh, being one of the toughest conferences at the time in the country, you know, the ACC, you know, with the likeness of the Michael Jordan, the Lenny Bias, and Mark Price and the John Sally's and you go down Duke to Johnny Dawkins and the Tommy Amakers and then, you know, the state, Spud Webb, Ernie Myers, you know, so you list goes on and on. Then you had the coaches, you know, the Dean Smith, the Bob Bano, the Mike Sessions, the Lenny Drysdale. So, I mean, it was an opportunity when my mom didn't have to travel. She could just turn her tube on every Saturday, watch our baby play. And, uh, and in this situation, you know, Danny Young was a senior. And I knew he would be moving on and having that one year of experience and being able to understand what that conference and that everything was all about. I think it would be beneficial for me. So that's one of the reasons I made that decision. You know, it was a cultural shock when I got down there, yeah. um, you know, during my visit. But I knew that eventually, you know, if I could prevail here, you know, I could prevail anywhere. And knowing me and the type of person that I was, I needed that challenge, you know, coming from Wake and coming, I mean, coming from Baltimore and coming from, you know, we, you know, what I was faced with, I wanted a something different. And I think that was something different that I needed. You know, Georgetown was right there where my boys went to and Wingate and uh, and Reggie Williams and, and Coach Thompson, you know, he did offer, you know, and I, you know, for me to come. But, you know, Michael Jackson was only a sophomore there and he had two years there. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I didn't want to have to have to go and hustle and bust with that situation. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I didn't go to Georgetown because Reggie Williams and myself, we played our entire young childhood together. Up through high school. You know, far way up through high school from the ranks from, you know, 12, 11, 10, uh, 10 11, all the way up until we had to part as, in, you know, to go to college. So that was a different decision, but I knew it was the best decision for me. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you talked about kind of that culture shock. Um, me and Brad laughed about it, but CP3 um, talks about how he found himself on Winston-Salem State's campus and over at a t Did you ever find yourself uh, on the yard um, one of the nights or something like that? Oh, absolutely. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, it's just every every weekend and we over there. You know, that was, and I had my boys over there too. Of course, you know, that was our outlet. You know, that's where we went and get and it kind of had the balance of the two, you know, and uh, and not only that, you had UNCG down there, Bennett, as well as, you know, all those other little schools, St. Augs and Central, you know, went too far as we saw it. But uh, but that was the, the beauty of North Carolina, you know, the, the, the schools that were surrounded by around us and 
for me, us being Wake Forest, being up there, not down there with Duke and Carolina was, you know, and that because we was more up to where, you know, HBC was right there, you know, in Western State. But a big time university in Wake Forest was there too. And I thought that was something that was intriguing for me, uh, knowing that here it is, I had the best of both worlds. It was small, you know, it wasn't a big, you know, it was a lot of attention. You know, you can kind of, you know, go by your own means. And and for me, that's who I was. You know, I wasn't so outlandish and all that, even though where I came from being, you know, high profile in terms of program, but, you know, as an individual, you know, I just wanted to be able to go in and do what I was able to do and, and do it to the level to where, you know, it wasn't much attention, you know, forced in, in your in your way. For sure. Hey, and I, I say this, it's, it's definitely hard not to go down to A&T. You know, me and Rob, <laughs> we always going to be a little biased. Uh, but yeah, that's dope, man, that uh, you got to have that experience while you were in college. Um, and one thing, too, I want to ask about your experience at Wake Forest. So last year, um, when 2020 started, obviously this whole quarantine uh, and COVID that has hit the entire world, uh, it really you know, it shook everything, especially in the sports world. So there was no March Madness. And that's an experience that college players, they dream their whole life to just make it to the tournament because out of all the different playoffs, whether uh, you are a football fan, baseball, I personally think March Madness is the best one because everyone has a shot. It's a Cinderella story every year. So what was that experience like when Wake Forest, uh, you guys made it to the tournament? And, you know, how, how was that, you know, to have a season? Obviously, you know, you coming from a high school with a winning background and say, like, yeah, I'm on a team and, you know, we having a little bit of success. I mean, it was the ultimate. I mean, for me, like I said, when I left Dunbar, and my first 11 games were way fast. And then we was undefeated when it was a game. So, you know, I was like 70 and 0. I felt like, well, damn, this is what it's going to be like. And then all of a sudden you start to get that wake up call knowing that, hey, boy, there's a lot of talented teams out here and that it ain't going to be like this every night. And, uh, but, and then getting that experience, you know, going as far as we did in the Elite Eight, you know, playing against the five slam pajamas, you know, losing to them. And, but I had an opportunity to play, you know, retired Ray Myers, who was coach at DePaul at the time. They had a tough team with Kenny Patterson and Boys. So being able to go through those guys and, and, and be successful and then get to, you know, uh, Clyde to get to uh, Akeem, Elijah, one of those guys, and had an opportunity of winning that game. Mm-hmm. You know, came so close to winning, and here it is, the next game in the Final Four, we would have faced Virginia. And we felt like we had Virginia number that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Ralph Sampson, those guys, but uh, but, you know, like I said, it, it was a great experience. and ain't nothing like March Madness. You know, the adrenaline is, is, is at its all-time high. And every kid, you know, who get that experience and get that opportunity, sure relish it because it's nothing that's guaranteed that you're going to be there each and every year. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you talked about kind of the talent in the tournament that year um, and then in the ACC period. Um, so, but, you know, in your season, senior, senior season, you were actually able to accomplish the – the great accomplishment of uh, going all ACC. So talk about kind of the basketball level. And even though the competition level was high, like talk about how you kind of navigated the game at Wake Forest and, you know, how y'all played as a team um, as far as hooping, period. Yeah, and they cheated me my senior year. I should have got player of the year. They gave the punk Horace Grant, too. Uh, <laughs> so I always let them know about that. Because we beat them in a tournament, too. That should have took it over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should have solidified that right there after them being up by 18. And we down in the second half. And knowing you only got 20 minutes at halftime, 
change <laughs> things around and we was able to, to turn things around and, and, and take on them guys. But it was, uh, you know, that's what it was about, trying to get to that next level. You know, for me, anyway, um, the team-wise, we wasn't as successful as we was my first couple of years, my first year. So uh, we had a coaching change. Uh, players left. Kenny Green decided to go hard shit and all sorts of things. So that changed the dynamic of the team. We had a lot of young players. My, myself and Mark Klein was pretty much the older guy that was there. So, uh, you know, Coach Stack, you know, he really just – handed the ball to me, told me, little fella, go ahead and do your thing and get us to, you know, do as much as you can to help us try to win thing that day. So it put me in a good situation where it woke, it woke a lot of the NBA scouts up to really start to notice that, hey, this kid is, this kid might be for real. And play some basketball most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And Muggsy, too, I want to ask you, so obviously you had a very storied career at Wake Forest, uh, was able to make all ACC, uh, and even, too, like throughout your college experience, you got to go play in the on the national team to go get a gold medal. But now when you go back, like obviously now you're a retired basketball player and uh, just reflecting on your career, when you go back to Winston-Salem, what is it like to see your jersey up in the rafters and see that number 14 hanging up there? It's a great honor, you know, it's a humbling feeling, you know, knowing that you, the time that you was there, you know, you accomplished, you know, some accolades that you didn't really set forth, but, you know, as in terms of night in and night out, you was able to put some things together to it, you know, it, it won't until, don't want to hang your jersey in the rafter. So, you know, for me, I'm just thankful that, you know, that I was in, well, they thought of me in that light to put my jersey up there. Um, you know, it's nothing more than that that you can, you know, kind of accept, just be humble, with, you know, to accept that type of honor. Yeah, so absolutely. absolutely. So and, and another thing, too, that we want to ask you, uh, obviously, I just kind of alluded to it, playing on the national team, getting to go to uh, mm. Spain help uh, Team USA win the gold medal. What was that experience like? Because, you know, uh, for those that do not know, 1992 was the first time they had allowed uh, NBA players to play. So before that, it was just college players. Uh, you know, what was that experience like being able to to do that before ultimately uh, making the goal, well, making the dream turn to reality playing the NBA? What was it like to represent your country? Yeah, we was the last collegiate team that won that gold medal. So just for everybody out there to know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, in 86, you know, myself, David Robinson, Kenny Smith, Dirk McKee, Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, Tom, man, we had a lot of guys on that team um, that was uh, that was in the 87 draft too, Armand Gilliam, that represented that 86 uh, team. Uh, one, and I get back then it was the USSR, Russia. Um, so, I mean, playing against some of the greatest players, you know, Trajan Patrick, he was with Yugoslavia before, you know, made rest in peace before he came to the NBA. You know, Oscar Smith, who played with Brazil over there, and then ultimately playing against Sabonis, you know, Sabina Sabonis, the biggest star at the time, was a Michael mm -hmm. Jordan. You know, bringing that gold medal home was, was, was the greatest, you know, knowing that here it is, we young college kids supposed to be playing against pros, you know, but here it is, we was able to go out there and accomplish that goal and win it. You know, for me, you know, putting that gold medal around my neck, standing there on that podium, holding that cup, I mean, that was the ultimate. 
That's beautiful. That's definitely, you know, like I said, as far as uh, an achievement that it's like no other, because, you know, it's only so many people that can make that team. Um, obviously now, like, you know, you see uh, the trials when they're out in Vegas and everybody practicing. So it's amazing that you had that experience. But um, as we continue to, you know, segue and uh, get ready to switch gears, 1987. Some people regard this as one of the greatest NBA drafts of all time. That draft class included uh, the great David Robinson, Horace Grant, Reggie Miller, Scottie Pippen, uh, Mark Jackson, and uh, also the great Kevin Johnson. But there was a, a little guy from Wake Forest that went 12th overall, man. What was that like, you know, making it to the NBA ultimate dream, uh, being selected by uh, the, the Baltimore Bullets, uh, at, well, excuse me, the Washington Bullets at the time, you know, hometown team. What was that like? Well, that night was, you know, the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders, you know, <laughs> hearing your name called and uh, knowing that, hey, it finally has arrived. You know, you're about to go up there and, and do it just like all the big guys that have done, about to do it. You know, shake the commissioner's darn hand, may rest in peace, put your your hat on and, and have that feeling. You know, that, that was something that, you know, not many small guys get that opportunity for me to, to to get the opportunity like that to get the experience i mean it's nothing other it's nothing other you know like i said with the narrative changed the whole narrative of my family uh being able to celebrate not only with some of my friends uh but my boys that i grew up with my reggie williams and reggie Lewis, may rest in peace you know here it is as kids dreaming and then here it is we all going in the same draft together you know the first round which was history being made, you know, there was nothing like it, you know, man, then going home to celebrate, uh, having the town on fire. So it, it was ultimate. It was ultimate knowing that we was able to, you know, accomplish that. And then as you mentioned, you know, all the guys, Kevin Johnson, Kenny Smith, uh, Reggie Williams went third. Amir Gillian went second. Mm -hmm. Reggie, 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 Reggie Miller, Reggie Miller went, went, went 11. Of course, I went right after him. Yeah. Uh, you know, horse rank, you know, was in that draft as well. Yeah. You know, so it was so many guys, man. Tell us Frank, keep on going down the line, Cadillac yeah. Anderson. And like, and also too, like when you think about it, like uh, I mean, we've been we've been talking about like you know uh, your upbringing in Baltimore. To think about making it to the NBA, that's already like a, a very strong, uh, you know, odd to you know beat, but. To say that you made it to the NBA with your friends, childhood friends, same uh, public high school, same neighborhood, man, that's incredible. Like, do you guys like still reflect on like, yo, we really like we made this happen? Like, what is that when you sit back and just re, uh, you know, reimagine like all of that? Like, dang, this really happened. What is that uh, for you? Well, it's an awesome, you know, reminisce conversation that takes place, and of course, the Baltimore Dunbar documentary really gave us a real true opportunity to go back and, and, and tell it all. Um, again, it was just sad that we didn't have our guy there with us, you know, Reg, we just didn't have him there. It, it would have made it that much special um, because, you know, it, you know, even though David Wingate went a year ahead of us, you know, the four of us, uh, but the three of us and, you know, we went in there together and, uh, and that would have been special. And then having all the other guys sharing it with us as well, um, who, who was behind the scene, uh, part of that. You know, that's good times knowing that childhood guys that you kind of fought, you know, fought, went to war with, uh, was able to have a, a dream in their head 
and they was able to fulfill it, you know, and they pushed each other, you know, to that regard. And, you know, with that being said, you know, ain't nothing like that having, you know, your childhood friends reach the pinnacle the same as you were, was able to do it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I definitely think that's amazing that you got to experience that with your childhood friends. Uh, but kind of shifting back to the draft, and I guess it still includes them, but the 1987 draft class um, is considered by some uh, one of the best draft classes of all time. So we wanted to ask you, you know, I know people talk about the 2003 draft class with LeBron and, uh, and Melo and D-Wade, but, you know, where do you kind of rank the 87 draft class as far as classes? I mean, you know, where do you see it as far as if you had an 87 team, uh, what do you think that would hold up? Well, they, you know, not only the 87, they also talk about, you know, that 84, that Jordan um, uh, draft with, with, with Clyde, I mean, with MJ and uh, Barkley and all those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but us, you know, I, hey, like I said, we, we stack up right up there with all them guys. I mean, a lot of us played, you know, 14, 10 years plus as well. You got some Hall of Famers in there. And, and, that, and that mixes too. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, for me, I'll take us any day. That's yeah. how I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely I definitely like the energy. That's, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, for those who don't know, uh, Muggsy, you know, made history uh, by being drafted as the, the shortest player ever to play in the NBA, you know, at, at the time before it was Spud Webb, but Muggsy took that throne and took it and ran with it and, and gave the NBA buckets and uh, picked a lot of pockets in the NBA. So um, we wanted to, I know we talked about, you know, your favorite players to play against, um, but I know I had a question, you know, you can look at a couple highlights. You can see a couple times where, you know, you stacked up against against that MJ guy you talked about um, <laughs> and you picked this pocket. So, so talk about the game and talk about, I guess, playing against Michael Jordan and who would you consider the GOAT? Um, if you had to, had to say a goat. Well, yeah, they always talk about that goat. Uh, you know, just, just first uh, answer the first part of the question was, uh, you know, it was a joy playing against Mike. And of course, you know, he and I, we never matched up as per se. We always found ourselves on each other because he was a two guard, I was a point guard. Right. And, uh, but you know, you always kind of get mixed up, switch and so forth. And when those times occur, and of course, you know, we're having fun with it. You know, for me, I'm competitive. You know, but defensively, you know, yeah, it's going to be tough to score regardless of who it is, it is. And those are the things that, you know, I'm always talking to him about when we're going up against it. And, you know, of course, you saw when I slapped the ball down and they called some kind of defensive three seconds. But, again, it was good day. Yeah, you know, I see. I saw a good, good defense. Good That's what I saw. Good <laughs> yeah, it was good day. You know, then you get to pick with MJ, man. He's he's no other. He's no other. He's no other. Like I said, you know, everybody talk. You know, they want to compare to LeBron and Kobe, and you know, MJ's a, a he. He just that electrifying player that had no type of deficiencies in his game. You yep. know, you know, from free throw defensively, nine-time defensive champion, uh, player of the world, is a six NBA you know, champion uh, to the scoring titles and, and, and you know, and you, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when it's time to compare, I mean, they all pretty much, you know, got the same key to the elevator, I'm sure. So, you know, trying to get up there and see what's all everybody doing and going in the same door. Because they all talented in their own right. They all unique in their own right. LeBron, we've never seen a 6'9", 
guy coming full steam at you. You know, our 69 guy was more or less playing with his back towards the basket back yeah. in our day, you know, and then what Kobe was able to do to, you know, to emulate with who MJ was and, you know, to study, you know, everything and to be able to, you know, to take on and become the player he was. I mean, whoa. I mean, that, that that's really remarkable within his own right. So those guys are all sitting at the same table in my regard. Most definitely. Yeah, we definitely got to appreciate the ghosts while we have them. Uh, one question, too, I want to ask you, Muggsy, while we talk about uh, your rookie season as well. Uh, what was it like to play with Moses Malone, having him as a vet, uh, Mark, mm. first year uh, playing with the Bullets? It meant the world to me, especially allowed me to play 14 years. You know, I would have played 17 if, you know, but I ain't going to go into that one. <laughs> uh, but uh, got, I got paid for 17, though. Um, but, yeah, it was um, Moses, man. What can I say about him, Daryl Walker, and Manute, Moses and Manute, rest in peace, because he took me on his wing. You know, he was my 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 vet, and uh, him and Daryl Walker, they was my vet that taught me the ins and outs of what the NBA is all about and how to conduct yourself, how to stay professional, you know, when things are not going well, because the NBA is a day-to-day -day business. It's about what you can do for me today, not what you did for me last week. And being able to stay ready, staying positive. Um, you know, when things ain't really, like I say, going well, you know, that that's when it really stands out, you know, because those words and the, and the confidence that they have in you and the advice that they have for you, it could be, it could make a difference. Cause you know, if I wouldn't have had the advice and, and, and took some other advice from something that probably I just wanted to hear as opposed to what I needed to hear, you know, my career probably would be totally different. So, you know, I'm so grateful that I had those guys in my corner to kind of give me that advice. And that was something that I was fortunate enough to pass forward to my younger guys, you know, as they came into the league. And that's something that um, as NBA players, you know, that's the fraternity that uh, we had that, you know, our guys to do. Yeah, most definitely. And um, Muggsy, I wanted to, you know, you kind of alluded to it for sure, um, just a couple of times in your story and talking about it, but you know, from what I saw and from, you know, just looking at you from growing up and, and hearing about you. Um, and then, you know, just growing up in Baltimore and being a short player your whole career, <clears throat> I feel like you have amazing grasp on adversity and, and, and biting back against it. Even when you're talking about, you know, the fact that you chose to go to Wake Forest because you knew that it was a good basketball conference because you wanted that competition. Um, so it's, it's almost like you, you brought it against yourself because you were hungry for it. And then um, when we talked about Jordan here recently, you, you, you like that matchup. You know, you, you picking yourself and, you, and you're winning that matchup. So talk kind of how about uh, talk a little about, you know, how you kind of face adversity and what that looks like as far as you growing up, um, you know, in basketball, but also in life, period. Well, you know, adversity, obstacles always seem like it's been my entire journey, you know, and that's something that you understand. And for me, you know, it's not never been about quitting. It's never been about, you know, what other thought or whatever thing every people think. It's about what I want, you know, what I want to accomplish, what I, you know, want to achieve in life. And for me, you know, at the time, basketball, school, and that process, that was my own way of thinking. And I wasn't gonna let anybody distract that, you know, regardless of what anyone said or what everyone tried to do, you know, my ultimate goal was to go to school, to get my education and hopefully put myself in a position where, you know, I get picked up and, and get looked at it in the lights of as an NBA player, you know, cause that was, that was the goal. That was my journey. You know, that was the path that I was on. 
Um, you know, again, everybody have their own opinion of you or what you should be doing or what you, nobody thought I was going to make the NBA. Yeah. You know, anybody had that vision of me doing that, but you know, I had that vision. I had that right. thought process and I understood it. So, and that's why I always tell anyone, you know, no one know who you are. No one know your capabilities and potentials, you know, nor, you know, so they can't be an expert on you. You control your own destiny. And that's something that, you know, resonated very well to me early on, because that's what my mom used to tell me. And I really understood that as I got older and it really stuck with me. And, and that's something that it really become true because you, you know, you, you, you control your own luck. You know, you make your own luck. Yeah. You know, you put yourself in, in a situation where you can become lucky, you know, <laughs> and, and that regards, and it's nothing wrong with being lucky, you know, that's a part of, you know, the hard work that you put in, you know, the work that you, and that's the results of it. You know, of course, we, in, the work that we put in it, we improve our luck, you know, help enhance that luck. Yo, Muggs, Muggsy, that's definitely, you know, that's that's real, uh, you know, and that's beautiful to hear that. Obviously, you know, you you betting on yourself. And uh, even when people doubted you, you always had that that end goal in mind that, you know, you were good enough, you were skilled, and, and uh, you know, that dream came true. So, as always, we tip our hat off to you because uh, you're really the true definition of heart over height. Um, but as we go ahead and shift gears, so, you know, we got to break down and di digest, uh, we'll see me dissect your rookie season. So, in 1988, the NBA merged uh, and we'll see they expanded and the four expansion teams included the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Orlando Magic, the Miami Heat, and of course the Charlotte Hornets, which was a relatively unknown city at the time. Uh, so far as those who don't know how the expansion draft works, uh, they were able to, all t uh, teams in the NBA, they were able to protect eight players on their roster. Uh, from there, the remaining uh, players on the roster basically went into the to the draft poll, uh, and Charlotte Hornets selected you in that 1988 expansion draft. What was that like? Uh, what were the thoughts of, you know, you're going back to North Carolina? Obviously, this is a city that really wasn't on the map yet, but, you know, an expansion team with teal and purple uh, jerseys, <laughs> what was that like? You know, I'm, I'm going to play for a new team like this. What was that? Well, when I first found out the news, I was a little upset, you know, because right after the end of the the season, you know, you always, you know, we lost to Detroit in the playoff and you always have your exit meeting. And at the, after your exit meeting, you was told, you know, you're going to kind of bring some guys in that kind of fit your style. You know, we got other guys, a bunch of guys on the team was more or less on the end of their career. So we want to get to a more up-tempo style. I'm like, okay, I found good. But by the time I left, when I left the meeting and got home to my condo, I got a phone call from my agent. And he told me that I'd just been picking up by the uh, Charlotte Hornets. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just left the meeting with the Bullets and they just told me that they was going to, you know, bring in young, up younger players, you know, so forth and try to that fit the style that we want to get to. He said, no, well, they went a different direction. I like what well, he said, well, welcome to the NBA. And, you know, at the time, I'm, I'm like Charlotte, you know, knowing that Charlotte, didn't, you know, had no professional team, I knew, had some, uh, he had some experience from being in the Carolina, you know, playing for Wake, being in Charlotte. You know, I knew they was more of a college town. Yeah, so I know I had no expectation. Uh, when I got there, you know, of course, me and Dell was there at the same time. And, uh, and you know, we did our little tour, and now we knew Dell from college. And also, of course, from the league, uh, playing against him when he was in Utah, uh, and then went to Cleveland. So it was, uh, you know, I looked at it as a 
opportunity. You know, and that's how I kind of looked at it as another opportunity to put myself on uh, on the national on the light to where I show these let these folks know what I'm truly capable of doing. And uh, and that's how I looked at it. You know, me and Dell was and, we had, and Rex Chapman was the youngest that we had. We had Kelly Trapuka or Curitan. Now an opportunity really could do something. And that's what how I looked at it. Yeah, most definitely. You talked about, um, and we was gonna get into this later, but since you mentioned a couple guys, you mentioned Earl Curington and you mentioned Rex Chapman, but you know, talk about playing with them and then you know that relationship carrying over into. Um, I I got to definitely check out the the, the episode with Rex Chapman um, on, on three league OGs, which we'll get into. But talk about playing with them and you know, obviously Dell Curry as well. Um, that team. Um, in Charlotte and, and, you know, really taking the city by storm and submitting yourselves as, as, as one of the best owners of all time. Well, it was great to see the city, you know, our team grow, you know, because when we came in in ADA, as you mentioned, we was an expansion team. Uh, we were just trying to, you know, make just, just, just get through a season, you know, and let the city of Charlotte know that we got a NBA franchise here and they was excited to have a franchise there. I mean, we were probably called the, very first game, they came dressed up in tuxedos and, and gowns, the, the ladies. And here it is, we play in Cleveland, and they blew us out by 40 points. And as we walking off, the whole entire crowd stood up and gave us a standing ovation. That's when you knew 24,000 just chanting chan for you, down by 40, lost by 40, but they're so excited to have you there. You knew you was, you know, you was in a special city. And, uh, and they grew with us, you know, each year we got better, we got players. And then that third, fourth year, we started to get some really good players. We got, you know, the JRE, then we got Larry Johnson. And then that took it to a whole new level. Then when we got Lonzo Morning, you know, we became that team of the 90s, that exciting team, that fun, loving team that people, you know, wanted to see. And with Kendall Gill was alongside that as well. Uh, down over there shooting his thing and Joe <laughs> and LJ, Grandma Ma doing that thing. And, you know, we had some like Sarah, Johnny Newman and we, then my boy, uh, again, David Wingate, you know, here it is playing with us as well. So that was another blessing. Uh, but it was great, you know, seeing the city grow, the team grow, uh, then making the playoff for the first time, you know, with Zoe hitting the shot and then advancing um, each and every year. That was a stage that standards for this organization. Yeah. So that was awesome. That was awesome seeing how crazy it was back then and and now that, you know, hopefully we get that excitement back with these young fellas. Yeah. Muggsy, one, one question I know I got to ask you, man, while we touch on your Charlotte career. So obviously, like you said, the city of Charlotte got to grow with you guys um, for uh, for many reasons with the popularity of the team improving as far as the record. But at the same time, just like, you know, having something new in the, the first ever professional team in the city. Uh, but one thing I want to ask you is for the 90s kids, me and Rod, this is a childhood favorite for us. And while you were in Charlotte, you and Larry Johnson had the opportunity of going to L.A. and shooting the movie Space Jam, <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest basketball movies of all time. So you made a, a nice cameo in that movie. You, Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley. And um, as I stated, uh, Larry Johnson, what was that like getting to do things like that in your career? Uh, obviously, the people of Charlotte still embracing you doing things like that. And secondly, I want to ask you, what was it like on set? Because I heard um, within the Last Dance documentary, there were some crazy pickup games. And they say some <laughs> of the pickup games of all time. Yeah, yeah, it was fun doing that movie, man. It really was. You know, the, the two and a half weeks while we were there shooting that thing, it was a it was just exciting. You had no idea that it would turn out to be one of the 
you know, classic movies of our time right now, you know, but MJ and them did an amazing job. I mean, doing, you know, working on the set. Um, you know, the guys, man, we just had so many moments, opportunities when we was working where, uh, especially one moment where LJ on the set, he decided he wanted to get a, a haircut. And uh, so we had, to, we had to shoot early in that morning. And um, he, uh, Barbara wasn't there, so he had to get a, one of the barbers on set to cut his hair. And here it is, this was a, a white guy, Caucasian guy, never cut a black man hair before. So Al decided to go and get his cut. And man, he cut El hair. It was like a bow cut. Of course, we wound up having to cancel this shoot that morning. <laughs> Gotta cancel it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> man, that was one of the funniest times that we had on the sets and uh, multiple other times. But yeah, we it was great, man, just shooting that movie. And then of course, what you mentioned, the, the basketball game they had. I couldn't play because I was I had surgery right, uh, right after the season. People didn't realize that in the movie, you know, I was hurt. My knee had just been uh, operated on, and one of the scenes where it looked like I'm moving my shoulders, I was being pulled on the dolly. Huh. And the guys hit their head on, on in the hospital going through the scene. So, and then uh, so that was I couldn't play in those pickup games, which I would have loved to play in. Uh, they created a, a nice basketball court for MJ. I mean, he had a boys came in, came over the the hoop, and uh, that's what it was during that summertime, uh, hooping. And uh, watching the boys, you know, pick up some of the greatest some pickup games out. And I think one of the other things was being done because Shaq was shooting this movie. Uh, was it Kazam? Shazam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and they was making big fun of it because he had a basketball court just in the parking lot, to where it wasn't to the level MJ. So they kind of made a little fun of that. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even know about that. Uh, <laughs> shooting around the way. Um, but yeah, that's definitely cool. And, you know, I think, you know, for me, that's probably one of my first introductions to you. You know, well, not probably not. But, you know, that was definitely cool to see somebody, you know, that I that, that was familiar in Space Jam, one of my favorite childhood movies growing up. Um, so so kind of pushing back to, to the to the Hornets and, and growing up, you kind of mentioned um the Curry's earlier so talk about you know the season you know you played 11 seasons with Dale Curry on a couple of different teams um and you know so talk about you know the Curry's and that relationship now and you know seeing Steph and Seth play um in the NBA and you know really changing the game because I know on your podcast you talked about how um if the game was how it was today you would be you probably be an all-time assist leader and Dale Curry would definitely you know be up there and you know getting some more shots. I think you said, you mentioned like, you know, y'all only took about three threes a game or something like that. So talk about yeah. that and kind of how the game changed and playing with uh, Dale Curry. Uh, it's awesome saying Seth and Steph do that thing, man. I mean, for Steph to be a two-time MVP, you know, unanimous one year, I mean, three NBA champion, I mean, the accolade just continued. Just for him to be doing his thing is, is just mind-boggling, you know. And for and Seth coming along now to get his shine and getting his, you know, his due process as well. Um, I'm just so proud, man. I'm just so proud of, of Sonya and, and Dell for what they've done, not only with the two girls, with the two boys, but with Sadell as well. You know, her husband Damon Lee is doing his thing out there as well, um, and she did her thing as a volleyball player. And I own right at Elon. So mm -hmm. I'm just so happy for them and happy for 
them to continue to be the, 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 the young men they display on and off the court. You know, they showcase what they are all about. Of course, this year, we definitely took it to a whole new level and, and let folks know that, hey, I'm still here. I'm still that guy. And uh, even though I ain't got my sidekick with me, I'm still that guy. And, yeah. um, and Seth now down there with his father-in-law doing his thing and, and, and giving Obi, Joel Obi some space to do able to, you know, to operate down there. And here it is, they got one of the best records in the, in the league right now. And, and that's good. And it's so special to see, you know, them continue to grow, you know, and, you know, off the court, they husbands, you know, their fathers, um, the philanthropists, you know, they work in, in the Canada community often, quite often. And I mean, it just, it's just a treat to see the joy of what I'm saying from them. And then Dell still doing his thing with the commentary yeah. and, uh, and shining. So I'm just happy for my brother. Yeah, I wanted to definitely give Seth a shout out because I saw a stat earlier this, uh, this week. And, you know, hopefully I don't jinx some more. It hasn't changed, but mm -hmm. I think it was 50.3 from field goal, 50.7 from three, and 100% from free throw so far this season. So, you know, he's underratedly having one of his best seasons of, of his career and, you know, doing his thing as far as that shooting. So that's a shooting family for sure. Oh, without a doubt. You know, the gene, you know, ain't too far, don't fall too far from the tree. Yeah. And it's crazy, too. I was watching the game the other day uh, when Dale was commentating. He said when he retired, he finished um, the NBA. He was number 16 on the all-time three-point list. And like you said, you guys didn't shoot many threes back then. Um, and to see Steph already being in the top three, and he's still in the prime of his career, that's that's incredible. Like, you know, he really changed the game very, uh, you know, from the three-point shot. He's a pioneer. So it's amazing to see what he did and obviously representing the city of Charlotte as a, um, a person on and off the court. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's a good treat to see, uh, knowing that they're taking advantage of the game, you know, of today's game. You know, that three-point line, that arc, it's been so emphasis in today's game. And if you get, you ain't got them, you know, you need them. Because threes, they say with the analytics these days, threes pay better than twos. <laughs> so the more threes you shoot, probably – uh, I guess uh, the better off a team are, hopefully, especially when they making it. Yeah. Man, Muggsy, you also played with one of the best front courts of all time. And what was it like to play with Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning? Oh, man, I can't say enough of those guys. I mean, you know, LJ and Zoe were, were, were the ultimate professionals in their position. Uh, they came to work each and every day. Um, they led on the court, off the court, um, and early on in their career. You know, they both, you know, one became the rookie of the year and the other, you know, he had to fight with that other big fella <laughs> that was down in Orlando, you know, so he was running up to to, to Shaq. Um, but they became, you know, again, uh, the player that they envisioned they wanted to be uh, coming into the league. And it started off early on, you know, the confidence that they had, uh, especially with LJ before he hurt his back, the explosiveness he had, the way he was, you know, showing out against the top in the league. And then with Zoe, you know, came right in at the beginning, relentless, you know, showed that he belonged. And that was something, you know, I never, you know, take that, I always remember those moments because those relationships still, you know, resonate today. Yeah, most definitely. Um, 
I definitely you know, I think we got Larry, you know, we got Larry Johnson in here as well. So um definitely remember those guys and you know, seeing them in the NBA and, and seeing, like you said, one of the greatest backcourts of all time. And then, you know, you adding that that point guard, you know, that they would need to to get their rocks off and play their game. But, you know, uh talk a little bit about, you know, that that Hornish drip, you know, the the pinstripe jerseys, one of the first teams that got <laughs> pinstripe jersey. And like you like you mentioned on your lineup, you know, um definitely, you know, one of those top five jerseys that, you know, you you gotta mention when you're talking about NBA drip. So talk about that and um, you know, hooping in that. Well, that was the I mean, that was the first thing anybody's seen. You know, that Alexander Julian designed those type of uniforms, you know, with pinstripe depleted uh, uh type of uniforms. And it is you know, it was a new team. Uh, the colors were something that people didn't envision in the NBA, teal and purple. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, it, and you know, they became such a, 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 not only just in the state of Charlotte and beloved in the city, I mean, the state of North Carolina, but around the world, you've seen the starter jackets, those teal and purple uh, type of uniforms, uh, my jersey, LJ jersey, all Dell jersey. I mean, every time I travel around the country, you see those type of jerseys and you knew that, you know, it resonated all the way back in the early days. And um, so hats off to Alexander Julian for creating such a, a stylish uniform for the guys. I mean, for yeah. the organization. Most definitely. And Muggs, man, one thing uh, too, I want to ask you, um, obviously, you know, to Rob's point, to your point of, uh, you know, talking on the jerseys, you know, the, the drip is still timeless. You know, you're still seeing the players rocking them. Uh, obviously, they brought them back with the Hornets, uh, and it's still like a, a historic uniform. But one thing I want to ask you as we get ready to close out on the uh, Charlotte Hornets chapter of your career, in 1996, man, your last season, uh, before the season starts, you know, you got the NBA draft, you guys selected a high school player out of Philadelphia by the name of Kobe Bryant. What was that like, you know, uh, drafting night obviously you know high school guy maybe not necessarily the most well-known player around the league for for veterans uh but to see his career blossom down the line um for you know for you guys to select him and trade him for Vlade Divac but obviously you guys also had one of the best seasons that year what was that like to see his growth as a player after you guys traded him no I mean when we drafted I think we we drafted Kobe understand that you know he wasn't going to come to Charlotte uh he was going to go to LA uh but Everybody knew that Kobe had a lot of hype. Everybody knew that he was up and coming. And, you know, at the time, you know, high school players didn't come in and have a major impact on the league back then. You know, we had a lot of true, true superstars in the league that still that was, you know, very relevant into their their careers. Um, So a lot of young players didn't really come in and, and become that guy like that early on. They had to go through that process. Uh, to become that, you know, LeBron came in, he was one of the few that came in and was able to sustain a certain level of it and able to, you know, continue to uh, progress, you know, each and every year uh, quicker than most. Um, But for the most part of it, I mean, we knew that he was going to want to go to LA and be, you know, in that bright lights, you know, his daddy was there. You know, and Cole, you know, just had that knack of himself and wanted to be, you know, MJ. You know, he had that whole true, you know, vision and that true hunger that I wanted to be that. 
you know, and he felt that as the best in the lead and he wanted to be that. So that's something you study, you study, you know, the, the mentality of it, the makeup, the game, all of it, the mannerism. And boy, he came, he was one of the closest I've ever seen to it. You know, it was like a mirror image, mirror looking at, you know, and sometimes where he'd hear him talk, the way he was, you know, he walked at times and the way he conducted, but, you know, after it all said down, you know, he grew as a, a man. He grew into his own skin, you know, his father, a husband, a philanthropist, you know, being able to to do the things he was able to, to give back. Um, saying his his daughter was able to, you know, start to take that step too. I mean, you know, you got to honor that. You know, you got to honor all of us and, and be, you know, humble to see a guy that, who meant so much to the game, but missed a lot to others, you know. So, me, him, and Gigi, rest in peace. Yeah, you most know, definitely. Uh, on a, on most definitely. Rest in power to, to, to him and Gigi, for sure, and everyone else that lost their lives in that tragic accident. Um, but, Muggsy, you talked about, you know, and just kind of segueing into the next part of your next, you know, one of your uh, one of your other cities that, you know, obviously took you in and, and, and loved you there. Um, and you, you alluded to, you know, those young players and getting to, getting to experience them grow. And so you got to experience a young Vince Carter and a young T-Mac. Um, and for, you know, for a lot of people, I think people are, you know, getting to that point where um, it's crazy. Me and Brad, we're still young. We're only 24, but we're at the point now where, you know, kids might not know uh, T-Mac or they might not know Vince Carter. Um, so talk about playing with them and then also Charles Oakley, uh, who's also on the podcast with you as well, playing with them and seeing them come in and, and take the lead by storm in Toronto. Yeah, that was some special time for me. Um, that was on the tail end of my career, um, getting the opportunity to go spend some time with T-Mac, as you just alluded to, him and Vince Carter, who was Vince Sanity back then. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was amazing. You know, those two guys were so talented and uh, they were the MJ and the, and the Scotty Pippen, you know, was, if they would have stayed together, who knows what they would have accomplished with each other. But, you know, you understood what they all meant to each other as well as, you know, who they were as an individual. You know, Vince, you know, at the time, he just started to become that guy. You know, he couldn't go to the mall. He couldn't, you know, go out like normal. Um, because the tension was there. He was in that breath mention of MJ and that sort of thing. And that went on for, you know, quite some time, uh, for at least four or five years. And, and T-Mac was coming into his own, you know. I think he wanted his own shine. And I think not only, it wasn't no selfishness, you know, or anything or jealousy, jealous, uh, uh, any, anything such. It was just when it was time to go, when T-Mac felt like he had opportunity to have his own team, you know, he jumped on it. Going back home in Orlando, um, Grant Hill at the time was there, who was also um, someone in, in their own right, a star, a superstar. Uh, but the conversation with T-Mac was more of a, you know, it would be your team. Yeah. You know, it would be Joe coming in and, and having that understanding and, you know, warm weather back in the <laughs> states you know who knows what all came into and then played to make that decision but you know he made that decision you know and and look what happened he had a hall of fame hall of fame career uh, right afterwards 
and, yeah. and Vince as well, you know, playing 22 seasons. Uh, and the way he was able to not only transcend from a, a mega star and then become a mentor coming off the bench, uh, being able to, uh, you know, give love and show how the young players how to do it. And Trey Young, I'm quite sure, really uh, benefiting from Vince's words that he was when he was there. And uh, so that's good. You know, I'm just grateful to be able to be with those guys. And then, of course, with the Oak Tree, you know, and Dale Curry again, you know, yeah, part, part of that 11 years, the Antonio Davis and Alvin Williams and D Brown, Kevin Willis. I mean, uh, it was so many, and uh, Mo Pete. I mean, we had a great time, great time there, and uh, sharing that moment, you know, and that's where Elk and our relationship really took off to a whole new level. And I was one of the reasons why we was fortunate enough to do the three lead OGs, you know, him and myself and, and Earl Carrington, and we got that podcast that we have we just had Candace on Candace Parkers on today yeah so it was a great 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 little chat we had and uh, along with other guests that we had on with the likes of the Ron Harper Spud Wes and Vince and yeah I was like Vince was on there as well yeah. Yeah. and Rex Chapman as well so y'all y'all have definitely had some heavy hitters man and uh before like we get in I just got to make the comment man T-Mac was a dog and I think uh, people don't really understand that he's if it wasn't for injuries, and I mean, you mentioned another guy who had a, a a career that was really taken away from injuries being in Grand Hill, man, I if they could have played together, and I've heard rumors that Tim Duncan was supposed to team up with them in Orlando, that is one of the craziest teams to imagine because all three of them Hall of Fame players and uh, great, like just a great uh, talents, man, uh, coming into the NBA. So I know that was an amazing experience to play with a young T-Mac and really to see him take off like how he did in Orlando and Houston. But uh, Muggsy, uh, you kind of already spoke about it uh, as Rod introduced it for you. Um, far as like, you know, post-basketball, you know, you had a fantastic career uh, early on at the beginning of the show. You were telling us like uh, you still had two other contracts after Toronto being the Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks, but you opted not to play with those two teams. Uh, you know, post-basketball career, what has it been like? You know, you've come back to Charlotte. You've been able to do some cool things. So kind of give us a walkthrough of why you decided to come back to Charlotte after you wrapped up your NBA career. Well, you know, sure, I decided to, to reside in Charlotte because it, it was a, a special place. You know, it was mostly where all my ties were. You know, I was in the real estate. You know, before I left the game, I, I knew I was going to make a transition. You know, and the transition was going to be, you know, hopefully a smoother transition as opposed to something that you're really guessing and wondering what's going to be. Going to be. Um, and Charlotte has always been home base. You know, even though I had a resident, a place in Baltimore, and I visit quite often. And still do because my majority of my family's there. Mm -hmm. Charlotte was a place where I can operate and, and, and still, you know, have my family to grow and, and be with them. And, and just, you know, I met some great, wonderful relationships in, in, in the city of Charlotte. So it was no need for me, you know, to, to, you know, to up the roof and move anywhere else. I uh, was able to start my foundation. Um, we, start back up because uh, I started in 99 and I shut it down in 2001, 2002 when my mom passed away. Uh, but when my daughter uh, graduated from uh, Wake Forest in 09, she kind of poked me in the side to get me to revisit that foundation again. And we was able to start it back up in 2013. And the Muggsy Bowles Family Foundation uh, is something that we, you know, we really had dear to our hearts. Uh, we try to provide burden less burden for these families to the to, uh, parents and provide scholarship to some of these vocational aspirational kids who had needs to go to university 
you know, mainly not just a four-year university, but a two-year university where they can still become engineers, um, uh, roof, uh, own your own roof business, own your own heat and AC, HVC uh, uh, company. So we just trying to give them resources in that regard so they can have opportunities where they can go and fulfill their dreams. Because a lot of the, you know, resources are more or less to the IT kids you know, and for Union University trying to reach out to them. So we're trying to give these folks the opportunity knowing that we are here, they're here, you got resources for them. And then another program that we started is called, uh, you know, we it was a 30-30 program that we had. We were trying to feed uh, 30 families, uh, three meals a week, because um, we want to make sure that they, you know, especially during this time, you know, pandemic, it's hard to, you know, to, to, to make means meet make ends meet, to find food and so forth. So, you know, I had some good help out there with some partnershiping that allowed us to be able to serve some of these uh, needs. And that's some of the things that we try to continue to do. Yeah, Muggsy, um, from this interview, from the conversation, and then just from your your track record here in the city and, and beyond, um, I've noticed that you, you know, you're big on philanthropy. I, I feel like everyone that you've mentioned, you've noticed their philanthropy and what they've done for their community. Um, so talk about that important, the importance of philanthropy and giving back and being able to, you know, touch the com community and the people around you, you know, if you're blessed to be able to do so. It, 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 that's true. And that's and that you just touched on that keyword, if you're blessed and able to do so. But I think in some ways, um, it's not all about um, uh, you're in a, uh, your financial state, but just all about what you can do in whatever regards is volunteering, uh, lending your voice. Uh, just trying to uh, help those who who needs that lending hand, and um, and because it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to try to help raise these kids and help um, give them um, opportunities where they can feel comfortable and become who they are. Um, it's nothing wrong with asking for help, you know. It's just it's the means of being able to, if you are in a position, you know, try to go out there and, and make sure that you make someone life that much better. I mean, that's what life is all about, you know, helping your neighbors and helping your others, you know. Uh, it's not all about selfishness and not about where you are today. It's about where you can do and help others to get to where they need to be, you know, because again, everybody needs help sometime or another in their life. Yeah, most definitely. I I definitely uh, wanted to commend you on that because that's, that's very admirable. I've noticed that about you um, just in my research, but also in this conversation, you you definitely were keen on, you know, the philanthropy that, you know, people did. And, and like you said, it's not all financial. It can be your voice. It can be your time. Um, it can it can be just a kind word, you know, just something to be able to give back and, um, and, and help, help someone else and bring somebody up. So I just wanted to commend you on that um, before we even moved on to anything else. Uh, that's very admirable. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I, de I definitely want to echo that from Rob, man. Like, you know, us being two kids from Charlotte, uh, you know, you've definitely been a big impact for, especially for somebody who, you know, you were just adopted by the city. Uh, it's definitely, you know, amazing to see what you do. Um, and at the same time, just, you know, you having that heart full of gold just to want to do it. It's beautiful. And we definitely commend you for it. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it all stems from moms. You know, it's come from your upbringing. You know, so I was instilled you the values that you was able to obtain as a kid, and you know the principles and uh, and the things that you set off for your for your family. 
Yeah. So, you know, it's nothing that, you know, we all do, you know, so I'm no special than any, you guys or anyone out there that has that same vision and that understanding of how to continue to get back. Yep. And Muggsy too, man, I know a uh, post-basketball career for you, you've been able to become an ambassador for the Charlotte Hornets, the team that you played for and had a amazing career, as we mentioned earlier, the all becoming the all-time leader in assists. You know, what do you uh, think about the Hornets currently? And uh, obviously too, you were able to be a part of, um, you know, bringing the, the energy back with the Hornets when they announced that they got the name back. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. talk, talk a little bit about that. You know, what was it like getting the Charlotte Hornets name back in the city and at the same time, how do you think about the current status with the, the youth on the team? Well, that meant everything, getting the name back. I mean, that Bobcat just didn't fit. Wow. You, know, <laughs> you know, the city of basketball in Charlotte is known for the Hornets. And uh, unfortunately, it went through, you know, the trials and tribulations, but again, the ultimate goal, I mean, the ultimate uh, goal that it got, it came back to the, the original home and it's back to Charlotte. Man, uh, and then the people showed in the first week how much it meant, you know, because I think the merchandise sold within a week more than it did in the whole existence of the Bobcat. So um, that lets you know how important that name was for not only the city, but for the state of Carolina. Um, and then, you know, I'm so excited about the product that they're putting out there today. Uh, you got the young fellas up and coming. Uh, I mean, it's showing so much excitement, LaMelo and Gordon Haywood and uh, Miles Bridges, how human highlight. And you got Malik Monks coming along and shooting this thing like I know he capable of doing and uh, PJ Washington and Cody, you know, doing his thing. So I'm loving the team. I'm loving what Mitch Kupchak and MJ and them uh, are able to, put out there and uh and it's and it's and they said it probably a year or two ago you know it, it's a transition you know it's been a transition since they got rid of Kemper um it's going to take time to unload some of their brother contract with the Marvin Williams and and, and, and Batum and so forth so now they was able to do that and, and make some good and you know put themselves in a good position got a great draft pick had a couple draft pick year after year with uh started with Miles and PJ uh, Washington then topping it off with uh, Mello. Uh, things are looking pretty bright in the Hornets organization. Yeah, most definitely. I wanted to uh, to shout out Malik Monk. You know, ever since uh, that that shot he hit hit against Carolina and Kentucky. Yeah, where yeah he he's been on me and Brad's radar, and Brad's been telling me ever since he's been on the Hornets, they need to let that boy hoop. They need to let him fly. And I heard it on you know you you mentioned it as well. On, on three league OGs, how you, how Malik Monk was one of your favorite, one of your kind of underrated players that they need to let fly, and that he's getting that opportunity. He had a, a definitely good game here recently, um, so I had to shout that. I was like, yeah, Brad has definitely been that guy that was in my ear about Malik Monk. So when you said it on the podcast, I was like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Lee, I'm telling you, man. One thing about the NBA, it takes you three to four years to truly understand the game and a majority of the players that's what it takes you know you have some exceptions you have the exception that they say the kind of prosper a little quicker than other but the majority of the NBA players it takes you that three four years to really come into your own and, and I always understood that about Malik you know it's just a matter of him really hearing it the right stuff night in and night out who he could be and you know what type of skills he possess and what he brings to the table and with a guy like Melo you know, who's a pass first type of guy, you know, you put yourself in a position where that's all you need to do is catch and shoot. 
yeah. you know, get into the areas and do that. And having that understanding, you know, not wanting to be, you ain't got to be nothing else. You ain't got to be the one-on-one trying to, you know, if you have that ability in you, that's a bonus. But the most important thing right now is to focus on being there to be ready to, on that other end, to catch and, and put that ball in the basket when that young fella find you. And because that's what he's able to do, you know, get easy transition, get easy baskets. You know, that's fun basketball. You know, then when you come set up half court and you're able to execute half court wise, you know, you take the game to a whole another dimension. And with the shooters around that young fella, Malik could be that supporting cast. And I really believe this could be the year for him. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so we talked about, you know, we alluded to it, but um, we wanted to get into it more. You know, we're both in the podcasting space. Um, so talk a little bit about Three League OGs. You're on there with Charles Oakley and Earl Curitan, um, and and yourself as well. So talk a little bit about Three League OGs and how it came about. I know, you know, obviously you played with both of those guys and, you know, obviously relationships were built. So talk a little bit about, you know, deciding to go ahead and get a podcast. Well, you know, it all stemmed from the pandemic. You know, everybody at home, not much to really get involved, can't travel. Um, the, the the bubble, you know, the team was in the bubble. So it was a lot of things that kind of went on and it kind of made me think about possibly doing a, a, a podcast. I really wasn't into it at the beginning. But then it started to make sense, man. We love talking about the game. We love chatting, reminiscing with our friends and so forth. So uh, it, was, it just thought to make sense for me to say, hey, you know, let me go ahead and put me my little team together and the guys that we can kind of chit chat, have some fun with it. And I called Oak Tree up and told Twirl, my boy Earl Carrington, that we going, you know, are you interested in doing Of course, they right away, they was all in. And then of course we had to go get the most attractive young lady in Charlotte uh, <laughs> next to my wife. Um, uh, oh, Ashley uh, Strollman. Ashley has done an amazing job hosting the podcast, uh, keeping the balance, keep the balance and uh, for us and allow us to be us as well as stay on topic and stay. Yeah, on, I noticed that. Know, I noticed yeah, that yeah, you yeah, got that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she's, she's the Molly Grantham of the first take. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Molly Grantham Rose, I should say. Uh, yeah, of first take. And so Ashley has been on an amazing job with us. And we're so thankful to have her. And man, we just, you know, like I say, we just chatting it up with guys and people and young uh, people that we know, um, that we admire. And, um, and you know, we had, like I said, we had the likes of the rug, the Ron Harper, Spud Webb, Vince Carter, uh, Rex Chapman, and uh, Steve Smith, NFL Hall of Famer Steve Smith. You know, so Smitty came in there and chatted up with us. Uh, then we just had uh, Candace on the day, which was a great, Great segment, and we're gonna have some more coming up. Dickie V, Dickie V, gonna be going oh, in. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, man. We're gonna have a great Dickie V, and uh, we're gonna chit chat up with uh, uh, we got Isaiah as well as uh, Ivy Letter, you know. So we got some good guests lined up. We're gonna have some fun with it. Just again, like you guys understand it, you know, chatting it up, reminisce, and having fun with it. 
Yeah. And that's it. That's a super dope lineup. Like you said, the guests that you guys are anticipating and that is you that you have been able to have on so far. Amazing lineup uh, to Rod's point so far, like an amazing show. So definitely, you know, want to, you know, give uh, you your flowers of what you guys have been able to create so far in this new digital age and podcasting space. So that's dope for you guys. Uh, Mugsy, we're going to segue before we get out of here to a little more lighthearted uh, part of the show. Uh, we want to introduce, uh, well, we're going to go ahead and uh, get into our bad grammar section of the show. So it's just a little fun thing that we like to do with the wordplay of the, the title of the show. So essentially, I'm going to go ahead and drop two words in the chat for you. And I want to see how well you can pronounce them. We try to trick up the guests of giving them a complicated word. Uh, like we, said, we run with that bad grammar to see how well we can pronounce it. And I know uh, that Baltimore accent is, is thick too. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and drop them in the chat. And uh, whatever you can see them, go ahead and give that a spin. All right, and I'm putting it in now. All right, the first one is in there. What's that from Bradford Brooks to everyone? Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Was that Baza name? Was it, now you changed it. Okay, yes, yeah, so, so the first, the first, we're going to do the first one first. Right. And are, are you able to see uh, the first one, uh, Muggsy? Not now. I, I, it went, if I, when it came up earlier. Okay, here we go. Was that Baza team? Bazatin, Bazatine, Bazatine. Yeah, that first one, you got it right. Hey, close. Hey, close. I got it right the first time. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, that's one. We one for one. Okay. And then this is going to be the last one. Uh, Dandelion? Dandelion. 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 Yep. And. Yep. So for that one, that second one is uh, uh, the Dallion. The Dallion. Yes. The Dallion. Yes, sir. Uh, they Dallion. Okay. Uh, the the, the Dallion. <laughs> they had the lean on the end of it. Yeah, that threw me off too. The Dallion. Okay, I can see. It. Okay. Yeah, most definitely. So that's like a. That's a little little fun segment we like to call uh, bad grammar. You know, we started off with good taste, we ended off with bad grammar. Um, before we get up out of here, we had a people, a couple people send in questions, so we're just gonna do uh, quick hitters. Um, actually, one of the quick hitters we talked about, um, you know, in the in the in the mix of the, the episode, we asked who your goat was, and you kind of you know pay homage to you know those those players, and you know, like you said, they all got the key to the same elevator and sit at the same table. So shout out to. Jordan, shout out to uh, Kobe and shout out to Bron and, and whoever else is to come. But, you know, this, the second kind of quick hitter, like what was this, the favorite team you played on at any level? Um, so that can be, you know, AAU, middle well, school. Yeah, well, I would say high school because, you know, you're undefeated. And early on at the time, it was, you know, it was rare. It was rare. You know, it was only just – Pride and ego was involved, nothing else. And uh, and you was doing it with the kids that you grew up with. Most definitely. And then the second quick hitter question would be um, the favorite game that you played um, at any level. The favorite game, I mean, you have so many games. Yeah, uh, I knew that would be a little hard. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, it's, it's hard to say what favorite game. There's a lot of games that stands out. Most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. 
But yeah, so those were our quick hitter questions. Shout out to people sending those questions in and um, trying to learn a little bit more about Muggsy. Um, but I'm gonna pass it over to Brad to get us on out of here almost. Yeah, yeah, Muggsy, man, it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to connect with you. Uh, as we said, man, we're grateful for opportunity. But uh, before we get out of here, we always like to give the floor to our guests, something that we call free game, just giving them that last word to, you know, give a piece of advice, whether that's basketball, whether that's just being a good person. What advice would you give to any uh, any listener out there as they're just going through 2021 and continuing to find themselves? What What would you offer as a free piece of game? Well, continue to stay positive. You know, positive is the key. You know, 2020 is behind us. 2020 is the new year. You know, stay optimistic. You know, continue to treat the people that you like to be treated the same as you want to be treated. You know, look at your neighbors and like them and love them, respect them. Um, this is a human race as opposed to, you know, whatever race that one decides to um, want to look and see the divisiveness become because, you know, we all bleed the same. And, and we all love the same. So um, if one can understand that more or less philosophy, you know, we can't be in a much better place. And um, because that's what I'm hoping, you know, and that's what I'm looking forward to each and every day. And that's how I conduct myself. And that's how I expect my kids to go as well. And that's free game, man, right there, man. That's beautiful, Muggsy. Uh, far as before we close out, man, where can uh, the listeners enjoy and listen to your podcast? And also, if they want to uh, connect with you in regards to your uh, Muggsy Bogues Foundation, where can they get that information? Well, let it go to the Muggsy Bogues Family Foundation.org, and you can find all the information about the vision and the mission uh, of what we're all about. Um, and then for, for the podcast and you know, all the platforms, you know, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, please, so forth, all that's out there. Man, appreciate that, Muggsy, man. Uh, Rob, man, you got any last takes, man? Man, no last takes. Muggsy, thank you for coming on, man. I really enjoyed the episode. A lot of free game, a lot of cool stories. Um, so, you know, everybody be, be, be sure to look out for this episode. And, you know, I, I appreciate everybody for tapping in for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. I just want to echo that. Uh, it's been a heck of a month, man. Loving the content that we've been able to produce for Black History Month. Uh, Muggsy, like we said, this has been an honor to have a Charlotte Hornet legend and ultimately just a great individual, man, and somebody who means a lot to a lot of people uh, beyond the basketball court. So we just want to once again say thank you for coming on the show and being a part of this episode today. Uh, my pleasure, guy. appreciate you guys having me, man. Keep doing your thing. Yes, sir, man. And we appreciate that, man. From Brad Brooks, Rob Carter, Muggsy Bowles, this is Good Taste, Bad Grammar, and we're out of here. Yeah. Appreciate everybody for joining us for another episode of Good Taste, Bad Grammar. Be sure to follow us on social media at Good Taste, Bad Grammar, and make sure to like, share, subscribe, and comment on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And be sure to leave us that five-star rating.